All right, guys, good to be together with you. We're going to pray, and then we're going to jump in, all right? Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for allowing us to be here today, uh, Father, and thank you for the, the purpose that you gives us, give us that brings us together. Father, the purpose of producing fruit that will last. And God, as we, uh, as we talk about it today, Father, the lasting that he's referring to there, I don't think is just as far as the duration of their lives or our lives, but Father, that we will produce a fruit that will last forever. God, we live in a time to where self-gratification and instant satisfaction is our, our desire. And yet, Father, in the eternal scheme of things, you created us for forever. And that after we leave this life, Father, there will be an eternity that we get a chance to be with you and, Father, with each other in a way that's better than we can imagine. And, Father, as I'm at this uh, retreat, thinking back to the first time that I came to the retreat, to this area, looking for a place to have a retreat, Father, I'm amazed at the, uh, the number of people that we have here this week. It will be back. The crossings will be for our marriage retreat. And, Father, we sold out the motel on both of those. But, Father, I can remember whenever we were just beginning, and there's, you know, seven of us at a retreat down here. And, Father, since that time, many, uh, Father, have come along. And, Father, there are several that have not necessarily fallen away, although that's happened. There's people that have passed away. And for me, it's a reminder of all the good times. And yet, Father, the fact of how fast those good times pass. And, Father, you said that you put eternity in our hearts. And I think Satan tries to crowd it out and make us think about now. And, God, I pray that we will think about now in the context of forever that it will not be very long to where this is history and the youngest people that are here today will be my age. And Father, I pray that we will have looked back on a life that has been lived well for you, knowing that we have produced fruit that lasts. And while we miss and we long for those people in those times that we know the best times are the times that are ahead of us. So Father, you call us to produce fruit that will last. Father, help us to commit to doing that. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in John chapter 15, and the verse that we're going to be talking about today is verse 16, where Jesus said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit and, and, and bear fruit that would last. We are ministries that are committed to being fruit-bearing ministries. That's one of the things that I like about the Crossings Church. It's one of the things that with CMU, the reason that we didn't get involved in other campus ministry settings. And by the way, if you don't know me, I'm Robert Cox. I'm the senior minister at the Wentzville Crossings Church, uh, the church that plant, helped plant the Collinsville Church and the Columbia Church and the, the uh, Interbelt Church and is helping some with Connect as well. And so as we talk about it, we're a ministry, whether it's campus or church, that is about producing fruit. But one of the struggles that we have, honestly, any of us will have to admit this, whether you're as old as I am, which none of you are, okay, or if you're as young as my youngest grandson that's actually participating in, the, in this weekend, that'd be Malachi. He's not my youngest grandson, but he's the, the youngest one that's in, the, in the, this weekend. You don't have to be young, too old, or you can be very young to recognize that we struggle with producing fruit that will last, we struggle producing fruit that will last in our own lives. And the way you know that is, is because you're at the same place you were 10 years ago when you came around. The maturity that you have is not any greater than the maturity that you had shortly after you were born into the family of God. And you know that because you keep thinking, man, next year I want to be, do better. I want to, I want to be more for God next year. I want to be what he needs me to do to make our campus ministries more effective to reach the loss and so that we can plant more churches. And you have that deep within you, but that fruit that is really evidence of that real commitment has not lasted. It's been something that you recommit to year after year after year. So it's something that we have trouble keeping the fruit that will last inside of us, but it's also something that we have trouble producing fruit that will last around us. Every one of you that have been here for more than a few years can look around at chairs that are empty uh, and we don't have a lot of empty chairs because of the crowd. But you all know what I mean. You can look to a chair that's empty and remember a person that was there that you love and you longed for them to be here now and to be here forever with you. 
This last week, I was driving my grandkids, actually, I was driving my youngest grandkids, uh, Hadessa, who is an eighth grade uh, girl, Lincoln, and, who is a sixth grade boy, and Gabriel, who is a seventh grade boy. And we're reading a, a, a one of, I think it was a Louis Giglio book on, on, on a devotional book, and every time that I, I get to drive them, we read something like that. And, and so it, one of the questions at the end is, what is the hardest things that you have faced? And it was, the, the, the topic was uh, tornadoes that, in, that, in, that include fire that happen in forest fires. What do you call them? Firenados, I think, is actually the kind of the common way. To, and they can be 1,000 feet or this, the, I think the record one was 5,000 feet tall and, and almost a half mile wide. And it's a tornado, but it's fire. And so it spews fire. Anything it touches, it ignites. And they were talking about how God, the story we were reading was about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being protected in the, in the fire. And how there's sometimes that things that happen that are so horrible, you don't know how you're going to survive. And I asked my grandchildren, what's the fire nato, what's the strongest fire nato that you feel like you have to deal with? That's made you think you don't know if you can do it. And their responses, two of them, almost simultaneously was losing friends who've walked away from God. My grandkids have experienced the deep love of the fellowship from you guys. If you know my, my Malachi, Ashley's youngest, one of the greatest heartbreaks that, he, heartbreaks that he experienced in his young life was when he found out that some of the people that he thought were his brothers weren't. And I don't mean they're not his brothers, they are, but he thought they were his physical brothers. He thought that Aaron Mitchell was his brother. He thought that Jimmy was his brother, Jimmy McDaniels that's on the plant. And he was little bitty and he grew up around them and they were in his home all the time and he found out that they weren't his brothers and it was a deep struggle. He had a time of discouragement because, what do you mean they're not my brothers? They are my brothers. Now he's come to the understanding that they are his brothers and those guys have done an incredible job. You know, it's, it's cool and this is off topic a little bit, but it's cool that in the kingdom, we can be what you can't find in the world. In the middle of all of this crud that was going on and goes in our culture with all the racism, the prejudice, you have a little Filipino, half Filipino boy, or I guess a quarter Filipino boy, growing up in a family to where he is prejudiced, but he's prejudiced about black people. But he was prejudiced that he believed that every black person he met was nice and kind and good. He was at a bus stop one time. There was this big old, they described him as a 300-pound black man in his 50s or 60s. And Gabe sees him when he's two or three years old. He just walks over to him, puts his arm around his big old leg, looks up at him, goes, I give you a hug. <laughs> and they said the little guy didn't know. The guy, that, the a big guy didn't know what to do. He's like, he started to pat him. He was afraid. And they go, no. And so he pats him. He goes, well, I appreciate that little fellow. And he just went over and back to Ashley and RJ. But there really was this prejudice that was there, that anybody that looked like that was somebody that was good and kind because that's what he got to see in those brothers. And then he saw some of those brothers walk away. Thank God for those of you who stayed. It means an incredible, incredible amount to me and to him. But it's sad that there is fruit that doesn't last. And no matter how hard we try, we'll never be able to stop that from happening completely because Jesus couldn't. And we don't need to take responsibility for what isn't ours, all right? But we do need to take responsibility for what is ours. And that is doing everything we can to make sure that the people that we begun with and our kids are running around with those, those high school friends and those heights friends, and those college friends that even when you break up and you go on a church plant, you know that you will see them sometime because they are fruit that last forever. So in John 15, Jesus is looking on the reality that he's going to be leaving these guys. And he's going to know everything that's going to happen with things that are going on with them. And, and he knows that, that, that they're going to go through a hardship. He knows that they're going to go through persecution. He knows that they're going to be tested, and he wants them to be fruit that will last so that they'll produce fruit that will last. So this morning, I want to give you five commitments that you and I can make 
based upon the idea of, of fruit and seed and bearing and planting, five commitments that you and I can make that will ensure that we are the kind of fruit that lasts, that we produce that in our lives. And because we produce that in our lives, we have the opportunity to produce it in the lives of others. It's a cool thing to know that you can produce fruit that will last. My wife showed me a post last night that's a husband and wife. Some of you know Tom and Janice Wade that are members of our church. And Janice put up, you know, sometimes we're just geeks and, and we ask questions when Tom and I go out on dates and we'll ask each other trivia questions. And the question they ask in their time last night or the night before, whenever the date was, was who has been the most single, most influential person in your spiritual life? And it just happened that Janice said that I was that. That if I had never told, if she had never heard me tell my story of abuse, she may have never told her story of abuse. And literally 30 years later, she is still here. She's still lasting in some way because of that. Tom, her husband, chimed in and said, I think it'd be Robert too, because Robert made me believe that there was hope, even though I failed over and over again. He never gave up on me and didn't let me give up on myself. And then a guy that had walked away from God for a period of time that I love dearly. I don't know if Steve knows how much Steve Dyke is his name. I don't know if he really knows how much I love and miss him. But he has found a restored relationship with God in the 20 years that he's been gone. And he wrote, Robert was the greatest teacher and mentor I've ever had. I want you guys to be able to look back on that and know that that doesn't happen because of talent or ability. If that's talent... I, my greatest benefit to you guys is the ordinary person that I am. And you may not believe that, but if you were in my head and if you knew the struggles and the constant battle that I wage, you would go, dude, that guy's not a lot different from me other than he's a little more mixed up. But if you will make these commitments and keep them, you will find that your fruit within you will last and it will allow you to produce a fruit will last around you. So let's just start off with number one. The first com commitment I make is I commit to living relationally. I live on the basis of relationship. It's not just a matter of me doing the right thing. It's me doing the right thing because I'm in a relationship to where I love, and here's the bizarre thing, to where I love both the Savior and I love the soil. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit, what that means, because you're, but, but it starts with you being in a relationship with Jesus on a personal level. In John chapter 15, as he talks about, I want you to produce fruit that will last, right before he says that, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I'm, I've called you my friends. So in the context of fruit that will last, as he looks at them, he goes, I want you to know that you guys aren't just an assignment. You're not just people who are my, you're just not, I'm not just the Lord and you the master, although that was true. He says, I, 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 you're different. You're in a relationship with me that while I am your Lord and I am your master, it's even more than that. We're friends. And I think the difference in friends and Lord and master and, and especially even friends in a relational level, you don't get to choose your brothers or sisters, right? I mean, whenever I was born, my brother was already here. If I could have changed that, I might have. It was sometimes when I was growing up. You probably had a sister that you're going, if I could have picked a different, there's times we were fighting and I would, I would change that. My wife had a sister and a brother. Her sister, they fought a lot. Whenever, whenever they were younger. Everybody, Rita Rave back there, okay. She knows what's coming up here, don't you? She's smiling. My, my wife, Rita, if you know her, she's known as this gentle, gentle, sweet, kind person, and she is, okay, all of those things. But her sister and her were getting in a fight one time. Rita was vacuuming, and she had an Electrolux with a power nozzle. You guys know what a power nozzle is? Her sister had long hair. And in the fight, she just took the power nozzle and stuck it on her hair, and it went right up in her hair. And they had to take the vacuum cleaner apart to get, it, to get the hair out. It was like a giant Electrolux beret, you know, you were wearing it. What, does this look good with my dress? No. But, but at that time, she's probably thinking, I, I, 
I would choose a different sister. Her sister was thinking that at least. You don't get to choose, but with friends, the coolest thing about friends, about Tom and Janice and Steve, is that they get the choice. And so Jesus, as he begins this thing about, about how do you produce fruit that lasts, he wants you to know that it flows, first of all, out of relationship with him, that he's your friend, that he loves you, that he cares for you deeply, that it isn't just a matter of you. Yes, you were commanded to make disciples. Yes, you were commanded to have the fruits of the Spirit, but yet it's more than that. You're called by a loving friend who's gonna die for you to say, I want you to produce fruit that will last. Then immediately after he says, I, I, you didn't pick me, I picked you, and I appointed you to, to have fruit that will last, right after that, he says, this is my commandment, love each other. And it's an abrupt commandment. He goes, I want you to produce fruit. I, I, I chose you and you're my friend, so I'm telling you this stuff. I want you to produce fruit that will last. This is my command, love each other. Relationship is a weird thing. It's commanded by God. And you just can't command instantly and have the relationship that's there. But if you've been commanded to have a relationship, you can work on it all your life. I am commanded to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And there are times whenever that command is very natural for me to fulfill. There are other times when it's not quite so natural for me to fulfill. There is no time that it happens without effort. We've been married over 40 years. Our relationship is probably better now than it's ever been. But it's only because we've constantly understood we've got to choose to be in a relationship and choose to love in all the fullness of what it means to love. So if you're gonna have a relationship that produces fruit that will last in you, it has to be based upon God's love for you and you choosing to love him. And if the fruit that you're gonna produce is other disciples, it has to be that you're choosing to love people because it doesn't do a lot of good. We have too many people in this world who reproduce without love. And it leaves an abandoned child to fend for itself. And we have too many people in the church that are reproducing. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna produce fruit because they love God and they think that's what he called them to and he did, but then they don't love the product, the fruit that they're supposed to produce. And they scratch their head like, why did he walk away? God love, I love God and did it because I love God. And the truth is, is that because the relationship that you had with them was not one of friendship and love. It was one of responsibility. And responsibility is not wrong. Duty is not bad. But it's not as compelling as a love for them. So make sure that you are functioning, committing to live relationally. Now in scripture, over and over again, these analogies of your, your fruit, is, it's, gonna, it's gonna get mixed up sometimes because let me just think about this. In Jesus' stories, in his parables, you're the soil. Did you know that? And there's a parable to where you're the soil. Remember the parable of the soils? He talks about four different kinds of soil, three of four which are not good and will not produce fruit that will last. But while you're the soil, you're also the seed. He tells a story that's right after the parable of the soils to where it's the seed that is sown into the world, into the hearts of men. And then for those who are good soil, then you become the seed. So you're the soil, but you're the seed. You're the seed, but you're the plant. It's kind of strange. You're the plant, but you're the fruit. The Bible says you and I are supposed to be master builders but yet we're the building. And so as we talk about all this stuff that's going on, there'll be some mixed metaphors that you've got to get and you go, where does this all fit in? Make sure that you're living relationally, whatever you're described as in scripture. If you're being the seed right now, be the seed relationally. If you're the one who is the soil right now, understand that to be the seed, to, to embrace the seed, you need to be relational. So it starts with committing, number one, the first commitment that will lead to producing fruit that will last is I commit to living relationally. Secondly, I commit to staying con connected constantly. And we're not gonna cover a lot of this because I don't wanna cover somebody else, but the word abide is the word of choice in John chapter 15. John, remember, is the son of thunder. 
he's the mean guy. He has his brother, James, and they're, they're mean. Remember one time, now James and John's both run away from Jesus whenever he's crucified, or James does. John stays with him, but they're angry guys, so I relate to them. They go through Samaria, and, and, and the Samaritans don't, don't accept Jesus the way that they think he, they should, and so they come to Jesus, and this is weird. Just on a personal relation, they come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and just toast the whole city? Well, Jesus had already said, I didn't come to condemn the world, I came to save it. But they're angry. And as they work through their anger, John goes from the apostle of anger to the, the apostle of love. To where he's living out his temper tantrums to where he lives out love. And the word abide is a word that means to be connected with. It means to live within. It means to be grasped by, to be surrounded. It's a very full word in the original language. But in John chapter 15, that word is used 11 times and I think, in, I think, 18 verses. I asked my wife before, I said, hey, could you, Rita, could you check and see how many times abide is used in John chapter 15? I think it's 11. And so she comes up and goes, yeah, it's 11. And I'm glorying. And yes, yes, I had that right, didn't I? 11 times. That's pretty good. But she went on, she goes, do you realize that John uses it 50 times in his writings? Because you see, what John had understood was the importance of connection. That no matter what's going on, the thing that you have to make sure you do is be connected. If things are going good, you're connected. If they're going bad, you're connected. Who was the only apostle abiding with Jesus at the cross? John. John is going to be the one who gives the revelation in the things whenever everybody else is gone and he's by himself, nobody with him as he dies and he still stays connected to Jesus. And one of the things that you have to do and I have to do is we have to make a connection, a, a, a commitment to staying connected because what John says is if you abide in the vine, you will be able to survive no matter what goes on. When a forest fire rages through a vineyard, all the small branches will be burnt up, but if they are connected to the vine, they can regrow. And they will produce, but you have to stay connected constantly. Connection provides nutrition. Connection provides motivation as you're connected to the one who died for you. Connection provides you the opportunity for demonstration as you watch Jesus and those that you're connected for. And connection provides transformation to where there'll be a time of pruning, to where the fruitful ones are cut in order, disciplined in order to be, make them more productive, and the ones that are dead and aren't producing fruit will be cut off. But you see, here's the thing, and it's important to remember, that if you are not connected to the vine, you're not going to produce fruit. If you're not connected, you're just a stick. That's all you are. No matter how great your strengths, no matter how talented you may, a branch that is not connected to the vine is a stick. And in the parable, it says those will all be gathered up and burned with fire. The difference between a branch that is producing lasting fruit and one that is producing nothing that's a stick is connection. So I commit to living relationally. I'm going to be in this. It's going to not just be about an assignment. It's not going to be at a task. It's going to be about me loving my father and me loving those that I'm reaching out to. I'm going to stay connected constantly. I'm not going to allow for there to be a time whenever I'm disconnected from Jesus. There may be tons of stuff going on around me, but if I'm going to produce fruit that lasts, I can't do that. I can do nothing, Jesus says, by myself. And that's bad news for the prideful. That's old news for the doubtful. But it's truth for everybody. But it's good news for the faithful. Because it takes your talent and your ability out of the way. You guys can do more than you ever imagined if you'll stay connected. 
You can produce fruit while it will last. And the churches that you're a part of and the campus ministry that you're a part of can grow and thrive and the vines can spread throughout all of the United States, even into other parts of the world with you leading that charge. And it's not dependent upon your talent or ability. It's dependent upon your connection. Thirdly, the third commitment I make is that I live my life consistently. Legitimate followers tend to produce legitimate, lasting fruit. And this isn't something that you guys don't know. You have read in scripture where the Bible says, watch your life and doctrine closely. If you do, you'll save yourself and your hearers. So he says the key to salvation, to lasting fruit, is to make sure that you're watching how you live and what you teach and that you're persisting in that. You see, you may ask the question, John 15, what's the fruit that Jesus, that Jesus is talking about? Is he talking about the fruit within them or is he talking about the fruit they'll produce reaching them? And the answer to that is yes. Not, so I used to kind of go, I think he's talking about making other disciples. Apples produce apples, oranges produce oranges, grapes produce grapes, and Christians produce Christians. And I think he's absolutely talking about that, but I don't think you have to battle somebody else who says, is he talking about the fruit of the Spirit? The lasting fruit that he's talking about is your joy, your gentleness, your kindness, your self-control. Is he talking about that? Yes. And what I've come to understand is, is if we have the fruit on the inside, it will allow us to provoke if we have the fruit that is lasting on the inside, if we're not so erratic that we're pulling away from Christ, if we're continuing to be changed on the inside, we'll continue to change others on the outside. That the gospel that changes my life makes my life good news to someone else who needs changed. And so there's this idea that I've got to live consistently, and that means that I'm not living hypocritically. Because we said that legit Followers tend to produce lasting fruit. Well, fake followers tend to produce fake fruit. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 16, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees. And the greatest, the greatest struggle to your ministry and to your life at producing fruit is not your weakness. It is your hypocrisy. It's not your weakness, it's your will to cover up your weakness and act like everything's okay, even when you have lost it completely. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is talking to a group of religious leaders, and this is the message paraphrase, but he talks to them, he says, you go halfway around the world to make a convert, but once you get him, you make him into a replica of yourself, double damned. Now, another translation, you travel land over to sea to win a single convert, and when you win him, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. So they were sons, children of, of the devil, and he says, a children of the devil can only reproduce and make what? A child of the devil. But your spiritual ethnicity, so to speak, it's not halved when you produce these, you double it. You make them twice as hypocritical as you are. And so here's the thing, guys. If we're going to produce fruits at last, we have to have a commitment to being authentic, ourse authentic ourselves and not fake. I wanted to get a, some fake fruit to bring in this morning. I wanted to get a fake pomegranate. I wanted to get a fake anything, okay? Apple, pear, but I forgot, okay? So it didn't work out until it was too late. Ideally, the disciplined me, which rarely exists, would have got a fake pomegranate when we came through Jeff City at the store there that has all the crafts and everything, Hobby Lobby. But when I put my, where is the closest Hobby Lobby in at nine o'clock this morning, it was 35 miles and an hour away, all right? So if you will, imagine a pomegranate with me. And I asked one of the members of the studio audience this morning to describe a pomegranate to me because I thought if she gets it, you all will. And so, uh, and I'm making fun of Danielle here. <laughs> I said, I wanted to ask a blonde first because if the blonde got it, everybody would. But it was kind of just a joke. But she perfectly described a pomegranate. 
If I were to put up, and I looked at pictures, and I actually downloaded pictures, and then we got here and we didn't have a projector, but there were pictures of pomegranates, pomegranates that looked so well, so good, that whenever I just had two or three of them, even though I just selected them and set them beside the real ones and mixed them up, I couldn't tell the fake from the real. As I began to read about them, what they were, there were two differences from my experience and from what I read this morning. Fake pomegranates tend to be harder on the outside than the real ones. They're usually made out of the good quality ones. They're made out of wood. And so there's just a hardness to them. And as you talk about fake Christianity, one of the things I've noticed is that there's a hardness to people that are fake. They will deny it. They'll fight. Even in the middle of being busted out completely, a hypocrite will try to still make the assertion that he's not being hypocritical. Just the truth through the years. Over and over and over again, I've seen that. Man, you have to lean on somebody that's hypocritical. You have to confront them to where you are just, you know, ready to just smash them, it would seem, before they just break. So if you tend to be really hard, that may be an indicator of, on the outside, of a tendency to be hypocritical. The second thing I know is that the difference in the real fruit, the real pomegranate and the fake fruit, is that the fake fruit tends to be hollow on the inside or simply made of a material that is of no value. Its only value is supporting the image on the outside. Now, if, you would, if I could have got that this morning and I could have, what I wanted was to get a hollow fake pomegranate, I'm gonna get a pomegranate that was stuffed with styrofoam or some of the, you know, kind of you guys, so picture cutting a fake pomegranate and I hold it up and it's what, empty on the inside, which that's a good picture of fake Christians. Or I cut it and it's the styrofoam, kind of that foam stuff that makes you kind of grit your teeth sometimes when you're cutting it, you know, and that kind of, and you hold it up and you go, I wouldn't want to eat that. All that is designed to do is support the image of the outside, which is another good picture of what Christian, uh, fake Christians look like. But if I would have cut the real pomegranate, the biggest, honestly, distinguishment is is that on the inside of the fakes, there is nothing or nothing meaningful. On the inside of the pomegranate, there is seed. As a matter of fact, the average pomegranate I've been told, and I counted through like 20 or 30 of them earlier this week. No, I didn't. I read it, okay. <laughs> Has over, a little over 600 seeds in every pomegranate. And they're kind of annoying to eat, all right? If you're dieting, they're really good. They're good for me because I get all ADD and just to be busy is good for me, you know? And so to eat, you know, I can eat an apple in like 15 seconds. <laughs> to eat a pomegranate, man, it just like takes an hour because you've got to take each individual seed. But the major difference between the fake and the real is the seed is in the real. And that's why it's really important for when I say consistently, that word consistently has to do with what is on the outside simply being a reflection of what's on the inside. That's what consistency is. When you cut a chocolate cake that's made right, there is a consistency, right? While the outside may be a little bit harder or a little tougher because it's been baked by the heat, it is the same ingredients that are on the inside. It doesn't project an image. It is just simply what it is. And we've got to make a decision in our ministries to where we're going to get away from having an outside that looks one way and we're making sure we're putting all the imagery, all the energy on making sure it looks good when on the inside, what is really on the inside is not that at all. And we spend so much time on the inside around people trying to project an image. Our inside is designed to support the outside hypocritical exterior and we just need to throw it away and say, I'm gonna live consistently for what Christ wants me to be. And as you reach out to people, here's the thing. There are gonna be two kinds of people that you will not be able to have them become fruit that will last. The first is an unbeliever who refuses to acknowledge the, the existence of God who openly says, I do not believe in God, and you cannot make them become believers. 
And the second one that you'll not be able to ever create fruit that will last is the hypocrite who claims to believe, but is inauthentic in their claims. Don't feel, you are not responsible for that unless you're that person. And if you are that person, number one, if you're, you're not the atheist who denies the existence of God, you may be here and be the hypocrite who fakes a belief in God. You can change that person if it's you. But the truth is, unless our ministries get to the point up to where we are being authentic in the way that we live and believe, if we're not who we say we are, we have little hope of producing any fruit that's going to last. Because what Jesus again said to the Pharisees, you don't enter the kingdom of heaven, nor do you allow those to enter who are trying. You travel land over sea to win a single convert, and when you do, you make as twice as much a son of hell as you. So we have ministries that are full of hypocrisy rather than full of authentic fruit that can produce seed. Commitment number four, we have said that we commit to living relationally. We commit to staying connected constantly. We said we commit, number three, to live my life consistently. And number four, we commit to sowing the seed generously. And we don't have time this morning to go into, into, the, into the parable of the soils, but in the parable of the soils, there are four kinds of sea, soil. Only one of them will accept the soil and produce fruit that lasts. And yet the sower goes out and sows it everywhere. Why does he do that? Because you don't know whether someone's soil is good or bad. Growing up, I was the kid that was labeled of having bad soil. And in many ways, I was bad soil. But luckily, I had parents who made me go to church. I had a few people at church camp who believed in spite of the challenges that I presented that there was something good in me, even though it was really hard for anybody, including myself, to see. And they continue to sow the seed. Here's the thing, the seed is free. It's not like we're throwing out flecks of gold. Oh, don't, don't, don't sow it on that person because the seed is the word of God. So just sow it generously all over the place. If you see somebody, you think, Matt, that guy, I bet he's lousy soil. Instead of going, I'm not going to waste the seed, you can go, I think he's lousy soil. I'm going to sow the seed just to see. Because you never know. And if you're going to have fruit that lasts, you can't decide for others who is good soil and who is bad soil. You can't even, you are not the ultimate determining factor in that. Sow the seed. Get on your campuses and get out there and love people. Let them know that Jesus saved you. You don't have to be ignorant and preachy and superior. You just like let them know how good God has been in your life, what Jesus has done, and invite him to your cross chats. Invite him to your church. Invite him for coffee. And just sow the seed with words and action. And then five, finally, I commit to tending the soil and the plant carefully. And remember we said that in scripture, you're both the soil and the plant. So when I said tend the soil and the plant, until something springs up, they're just soil, but when it springs up, they're now a plant. And the parable of soil. And you need to tend that carefully. We talked in the beginning about being out of, functioning out of relationship. The person you're reaching out to, the person you're discipling, the person that you're working with, they need to be more than an assignment. They need to be someone that you love passionately. You need to make them your best friend. Towards more than just assignment. And as you watch them, you care for them tenderly. And as you watch through that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul wrote these words. I may have done the planting and Apollos the watering. But it was God who made the seed grow. The planter and the water are nothing compared to him who gives life to the seed. Planter and water are alike, are alike insignificant, though each will be rewarded according to his own particular work. Now in that passage, 
What he's saying is, listen, if God doesn't cause something to grow, it's not growing. He's not saying what you do doesn't matter. What he's trying to do is to knock down the proud people who think they're the source of the growth rather than giving God the glory for that. But he says, he says, I planted. He planted the seed. And you need to give care to that soil. Make sure you're planting the seed. Recognize What's going on there? Then he says, Apollos watered. Why did he water? Because he was looking at the soil, knowing there was a seed that was in there. And even though God had designed for it to grow, if there is no water, it won't grow. I used to follow my dad. He walked funny when he would till with the garden. He walked funny any time in the garden. As a kid, I remember his feet kind of looked like they were penguin feet, you know, that were like this when I would watch and I would hop in between those. But I knew that as long as I stepped in his footprints, I was going to be okay because he would never stop step where the seed has just been planted in fear of making it too hard for it to come up. Why did my dad do that? Because he cared about the soil and he cared about the seed. He cared about the fruit that was there. And so as we have people come along, sometimes we just want to plant the seed and then we're just want just go away, right? I planted the seed, I did my job. There are too many fathers who have that guy in mind. I planted the seed. Now it's up to them. Yeah, and what do you get? You get a delinquent. You get a problem for your family and for your society. Because that's what happens when idiots reproduce. So don't be an idiot when it comes to your spiritual plant. Paul planted, Apollos watered. If you were to go on down, I think you could fairly say, if you look at the ministry, you could say, Timothy pulled weeds. Who was Timothy? He was a guy that Paul produced, reached out to, that God caused to grow, but he, Timothy was Paul's disciple, his son in the faith, and he used him. He sent him to churches to help deal with problems because there were weeds that were there. Remember the parable of the soil? The first one is on the is the story of a seed of, a, of the seed that's sown on the pathway, and the ground is so hard that the seed can't even take root before the birds come and eat the seed. Can you think of a way to soften soil that's hard like that? Water. Now, obviously, there's an analogy that's here that you've got to kind of figure out. You know, if you get somebody who's hard, don't go pouring water on them. Okay. But there is something that you can do to soften hard soil. You guys, some of you know Janice Wade. How many of you know Janice from the crossings? If you know Janice from the crossings, you know her because probably she has helped you deal with your personal sexual abuse or is helping you help somebody else deal with childhood sexual abuse. And Janice is, a, is a, an incredible girl. But man, you talk about somebody that was hard when she first came around. If you don't know the hard, obnoxious, rude Janice, then you don't really know Janice, okay? But Christ has so transformed her that you don't get that hard kind of thing anymore. Whenever she first started coming around, she started studying the Bible at SIU Edwardsville. Who we got from SIU Edwardsville? Isn't it cool to know that Janice came from SIU Edwardsville? That's where she, the, our campus ministry met her there. And she has literally worked with people who have been abused all across the nation now. They reach out to her and she starts to study and then goes, I don't want it. I want to do what I want to do, which was anything that God didn't want her to do, okay? But she hates her life. So she comes to church and I'm preaching. And you guys know this story. If you've heard me before, there has been one person you know how in the church we used to people, if you've been to a black church, you know, they're big on the amens. You know, they, they'll get with it. And our church used to be a little bit more like that, you know, never quite that level. But, but Janice was not the amen girl. In a room about this size, I am preaching, and Janice would have been about where Rita is back there. Wave your hand, Janice, back where you, Okay, that's Rita. And I make some point, and out loud on a Sunday morning, I hear a lady say, you're full of shit. I wasn't exactly sure what that meant, but I knew it wasn't amen, okay? I knew there was a dichotomy that was going on there, okay? And I joke and I say this every time. It really didn't bother me. It did bother me when my wife said amen. Okay, that did bother me. You know? 
That, that was like, oh, stop piling on there, okay? That's not fair. She was a hard girl. And it was hard to soften her heart. And ultimately, God did that, but God... Sometimes we say God does, you know, does God comfort the downhearted? Does the Bible teach that? The Bible teaches that, that God is the one who comforts the downhearted. But you know that when Paul was downhearted, how he got comforted? Paul wrote and said, but God who comforts the downhearted comforted me through the sending of Titus. His plan A for comforting is to use you to comfort. His plan A for softening the soil is to use you and I to soften the soil. Are there plan Bs? Yeah. And they're pretty rugged and, and, and awful sometimes. In that soil, the hard soil, you have a problem. What's the problem? It's so hard. In the other, there's no depth. If you've got a plant that's no depth, what do you do? Do you just simply go, okay, you're going to die, you've got bad soil? No, I'm thinking if you're somebody who cares for that soil, you're going to get a pickaxe out, and you're going to have to hit it differently than you do the soil that's, that's hardened by the, by the pathway. But you're going to really be willing to put some effort and do some things that are pretty hard into that. The third soil that's no good in there is a soil that's so full with weeds that the soil's great, but it can't produce the right kind of fruit because it's choked out by, and what it says is that this, the cares of this world, the desire for pleasure in the sinful things. If you're someone who wants fruit that will last, you just go, oh, you just go ahead, just get choked out. What do you do? You start weeding. When you start weeding, when you start picking, when you start pouring, they may not like it. But if you want to produce fruit that will last, you do what you need to. And if they don't do that, that's on them. You're not responsible for that. But I can assure you that if you'll live like that, you'll produce some fruit that will last. And it's a good thing to look around for me and to see new faces. It's an exciting thing right now. Both Lincoln and Gabriel are studying to become disciples. That will mean all of my grandkids, when those guys come around, will have been disciples, all six of them. And all of them involved in some form of ministry as far as the ones that are, that are disciples. You know, for Kennedy, if you guys know Kennedy, my oldest granddaughter, she's been at the center of every ministry she's been in through high school, through college, and now in, in, as she moves on to law school. Jackson is much like me, so that means it's not going to be a smooth ride. Okay, it's just not. He's like me. He's better looking, which just makes it worse, okay? <laughs> Honestly. But he's still there and he's fighting. Hadessa is like my daughter, which means we're going to bump heads regularly. <laughs> but she is not going to compromise on what she believes is right, no matter who is there. And that's such an incredible thing to know when I look at her. And she is as brave as a lion. Absolutely as brave as a lion. And Malachi, the kind of quiet one sometimes, who is unrelenting in his refusal to be able to, to, to say, I'm not going to compromise. Malachi's a good-looking kid. He's been kind of afraid to get involved with, with the girls sometimes. And part of it has been he doesn't want to have happen watch he's watched some of the other teen boys have happened as they have not done well in their relationships. That caution will serve him well. I love the idea that he's coming up, and I hope I get to be long, live long enough to see them being involved in leading ministry somewhere, whether at the crossings or at a church plant. But it's also good to look at old fruit. My son, you can put him in that category now as old fruit. <laughs> Carrie is an old fruit. You can tell him I said that, okay? 40-plus <laughs> years old, all right? And he still is faithful. My daughter has went through the, the wars, still faithful. Tom and Janice, Tim, all of the people that came on the plant with us are still standing. And God is the one who gets the glory. But the five commitments that we talked about this morning were commitments that as a leadership and the people who were leading them, that we lived out. Not in perfection. A commitment is never perfection. I committed to my wife when we were married, and she will tell you very quickly, I have never been a perfect husband. 
Momentarily, I may have hit that word, you know, that, that end description. But I have never lost my commitment to her, nor will I ever. And that's what we're calling you to this morning. Let's pray. What time is it, by the way? Am I over? 11.50. I'm 10 minutes early there. All right. <laughs> Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, your love for us. Thank you for being good to us. God, it's so exciting to, to look at a group of high school and college students. Father, they're here this weekend. And man, I look back at what I was during that time. And Father, I was so lost, but I longed so deeply to be found. I was so bad, but Father cried to you wanting to be better. And Father, while you're still working on me, and that will be a work in progress until I am called home, Father, it's good to know that if we commit to you, that you never will let that commitment fall without blessing it with fruit and with a better life. And Father, in this room are the men and women that God are called to lead the next church plants. Father, to lead in youth ministries. And Father, the next Carrie, the next Ashley, the next whoever it might be from those other plants, they are in this room right now. And Father, they are being called to you because you love them and you're calling them to love other people. And that means in the same way that you died for them, they've got to die for others. But Father, if they'll do that, They'll produce fruit that will last. And through all eternity, God, they will get to enjoy the blessings that they can only begin to understand in this life. So Father, move us to know that you called us. Jesus begins that verse with saying, you didn't pick me, I picked you. And he's not saying that we don't have a role in choosing him, but he just wants us to know that, listen, you didn't just want to tag along and you're not supposed to be here. That's how I felt most of my life. And I was trying to be your disciple, but I just wasn't cut out for it. That you, I wanted to be shaped by you, but I was so out of shape on an emotional and physical, uh, not physical, emotional and spiritual level that I wasn't ever going to be able to measure up. And Father, in all that, you say, dude, to, to everybody that's here, don't think you picked me. If you think you picked me, you may think that, that, that I didn't pick you and that you're not supposed to be here. I want you to know I picked you. And I picked you and I appointed you to produce fruit that will last. And I wouldn't appoint you to something you couldn't do. So get with it. And Father, help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.